attention, attention all personnel, it's MASHCAST! Hello and welcome to MASHCAST, the show that celebrates the greatest TV series of all time, CBS's MASH, which aired from 1972 to 1983, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Corporal Captain Rob Kelly, and joining us this week in the VIP tent is the man I call the podcasting find of 2017, Scott X. Hi, Scott. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. You know, I'm just sitting here in my ratty red bathrobe, (laughs) sipping a nice martini. And that's right. I'm sipping, not swilling, just sipping. So I'm looking forward to the chance to talk with you about uh, this episode of MASH. And thanks for the compliment about the podcasting find of 2017. I appreciate that. That means a lot. I completely admit it. You have now made uh, appearances with three different members of the Fire and Water Podcast Network across four different shows. You've been on uh, give me that Star Trek with Siskoid, and of course you did It's Midnight with Ryan, which Ryan was the first person that had you on, and then you did a, you've done a film and wa- two film and waters with me, and now we're doing Mashcast. So after this, you just have to get on to Plasticast, uh, the JLI show, JLU cast, uh, Punch Like a Girl, Done One Wonders, and then you, you'll have done everything on the network. Well, I was say, be careful, all you Fire and Water Podcast Network hosts. I'm coming for you. I have ideas. <laughs> I will be emailing you with my little thoughts about what to do on your show. You've been put on notice, the rest of you. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, so, well, the episode we're here to talk about is uh, Season 1, Episode 4, Chief Surgeon Who, which originally aired October 8th, 1972. It was written by Larry Gelbart and directed by E.W. Swackhammer which is apparently that man's real name. Uh, but before we get to the episode, I want to ask you, Scott, like, what's your connection to MASH the show? Like, Why did you want to come on and talk about this episode? Well, MASH for me was one of those shows. It's, it's just sort of, if someone were to play a background reel of my life, MASH would be on in that very first part. It would be playing in the background. I, when I was a kid, I recall finally recall the show being on. I was born in 1972, so I don't. I can't say that I remember a lot of it, but as my family would tell you, I can remember a lot from that time related to TV. For whatever reason, it just always stuck in my head. I remember watching MASH, and as soon as I hear the theme music from mm-hmm. an episode of MASH, I am immediately sitting in my family's live room, living room with that wonderful green shag carpet from the 1970s, <laughs> watching my big TV um, with not HD, by the way, in the 70s. And I'm just immediately transported back to that. And that's just a good feeling, sort of a memory of home for me. And, and as, I, as I grew up, I think, I, I was trying to remember this before, before we started recording here, but I remember that show, and I don't know if it was in syndication early or if it just replayed all the time on CBS because I always can remember watching it. Uh, I grew up in the central time zone. The six, we always had a six o'clock news and it was always on right before or right after. I can't remember which the six o'clock news. It was on every single night. So we'd watch it every night. And then when I got into college, uh, me and some buddies watched it all the time. Um, we'd always quote it back and forth. You know, half the people didn't know what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Which made it even more fun, right? For us, right, sure. Just to yeah. sort of have that that little thing that we would talk about. So that little secret language, yeah. Little absolutely. secret language, absolutely. exactly. Absolutely. We were uh, always trying. We were always trying to get ribs, and anytime someone ordered ribs, you know, <laughs> but you didn't get the coleslaw. I mean, that was just a given <laughs> quote we had. To probably still do it when I'm hanging out with those buddies. So. <laughs> Forgive us for drifties. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's terrific. Yeah. I'm so yeah, you arrived right around the time uh, that Mash did, 1972. It's funny you talk about TVs. Young kids will never appreciate just how heavy TVs were 
in the old oh. days. Those things used to look like tanks, you know, and nowadays you could just pick them up with one hand, carry them, carry them around. But back then, man, those things were the major part of the, uh, the, 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 the decor. Absolutely. It was like a, it was a truly a piece of furniture. It was not a TV. It in itself was a piece of furniture. I remember they always had those big legs on them and a mm-hmm. big, huge wooden console that it yep. was sort of housed in. <laughs> All those giant knobs and stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, so anyway, yeah, the episode is said it's Chief Surgeon Who. Uh, it, up, it opens uh, with the viewer getting his chance to see what daily life is like inside the OR. Even though Frank Burns is ranking surgeon, he is clearly out of his depth. He's snappish and rude to the others, and even worse, he's behind in his medical information. Everyone on the medical staff seems to turn to Hawkeye for help and advice. After a particularly nasty blow-up between Hawkeye and Frank, Henry realizes the 477th can't keep going on like this, so he has to appoint a chief surgeon. Henry calls Frank and Hawkeye to his office. Contrary to Army protocol, he skips over Frank and names Pierce chief surgeon. Frank is enraged and forces Henry to admit that when the heat's on, Hawkeye is the best surgeon in camp. Frank and Hotlips decide to go to General Barker and complain about this breach of protocol. When Barker arrives at the 477th, Frank and Hotlips tell him that there's a wounded man waiting to be operated on. He storms off to find Chief Surgeon Pierce. He finds Hawkeye Trapper, Captain Kaplan, and Ugly John playing cards in the swamp. He demands Hawkeye operate now. Hawkeye refuses, saying medically it's not the best idea while the patient is still in shock. He's having a nurse give the patient some blood and get him ready for surgery and expects to operate around 3 a.m. Barker doesn't like that answer, so he storms off to find Henry, only to find that the entire camp seems to be jumping, even at this late at night. Radar is reading comics while drinking Henry's brandy. Spirit Chucker and Nurse Ginger Bayless are playing strip dominoes. And the camp's night sentry, Klinger, is wandering around the camp in a whack uniform. Once Barker finds Henry, they meet Hawkeye and Trapper in the OR, now that the patient is ready for surgery. Barker is impressed by Hawkeye's surgical skill and grudgingly admits he was wrong and Hawkeye was right. Barker tells Henry to ignore Frank from here on in and marvels at how anything gets done in this madhouse. He is not reassured when Klinger reappears, stark naked, still on duty. Hawkeye, Trapper, and Henry take it all in stride. So uh, that is Chief Surgeon Who. And (laughs) the main takeaway I have from this one is is that uh, most mashes... Uh, obviously, you know, cast changes aside, most mashes can be watched sort of interchangeably. You know what I mean? Like you can, if, if right. as long as the cast is the same, you can watch a season nine episode in the middle of season 11. And for the most part, you won't know the difference. And MASH was built for that. And I think about the episode uh, you did on Give Me That Star Trek with Siskoi talking about sitting on the edge of forever, about how, you know, Kirk has had this amazing experience with Edith Keeler, but she's never mentioned again in the show. So it's like that episode really could kind of air season one, season two, season three. It really wouldn't matter. I mean, I guess if you were someone that pays attention to the granular details of, of Star Trek characterization. I can't imagine anyone listening to this podcast would be interested in granular details. Who does that? <laughs> That's crazy. Who would do such a thing? But you know what? I mean, you would, would you agree with that assessment that Star Trek yeah. was kind of built the same way, that the characters yeah. for the most part are – the episodes can be watched in almost any order. And MASH is like that, except this one where clearly we are – this episode is telling us this is very early on in the history of the 477th because there is no chief surgeon and there has to be. Now, in the, in the, in the pilot, everyone is already on duty at the 477th. There is no origin episode of MASH where we see everybody arrive in Weijang Bu for the right. first time. But we also don't know how long they've been there. And this episode establishes not that long. This is obviously pretty soon into every into the the four seven seventh tenure because there is no chief surgeon, and so that is to me that's my main takeaway from this episode is that little detail is that well clearly 
everyone here is pretty new because we don't have a chief surgeon and now we do. So that's like the big revelation in this episode. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you have it in continuity, so to speak. It's early on. And then obviously some of the depictions, which you and your previous guests have talked about, how the characters are written show that it's early on in their characterizations from the, sort of the outside looking in. But definitely from the inside looking out, it's also very early on. Um, and you can you can pick that up just by the things that you mentioned. Right. And obviously the, the big development is the introduction of Jamie Farr as Corporal Klinger, who was uh, famously brought in as a day player. They brought him in for just this one episode. They thought it would be a fun gag because, of course, Barker, as I mentioned, goes through the camp and he runs into all these crazy people. There's another moment where he runs into a sentry and we see that the sentry has got like a hooker under his poncho. There's like that whole <laughs> gag. So Klinger was brought in just as a gag, but I guess they liked Jamie Farr so much they brought him back and brought him back and brought him back. And then eventually he became one of the regular of the show so he you know he managed to sort of create a job for himself by being so funny uh in this episode but so that's the that's the the other big detail and then the, the one other piece of characterization that i wanted to mention is in the three previous shows henry blake is we know that henry's a good doctor but he's kind of a doofus and hawkeye and trapper have to constantly go around him to get things done because he's just not interested in what's going on well in this one henry takes command by telling Frank, I don't care that it's protocol that the major, that the highest ranking surgeon become chief surgeon. I'm giving it to Pierce because Pierce is the better doctor. And there is an, a, there's a great scene, and I think it has genuine dramatic heft in Henry's office where Frank and Henry go basically like nose to nose with with each other. Where Frank says, "Are you saying that Hawka, that Pierce is a better surgeon than me?" and uh, McLean Stevenson's eyes get really wide, and he goes, "Yes, when the heat's on." And right. and they let the silent. There's like a full beat of just silence, and I love that. I, that to me, that's one of McLean Stevenson's best moments as Henry's, where he is like, "Okay, yeah, I'm kind of a pushover most of the time, and you guys are always going over my head to the general to get things done." But in this moment, I'm the commander, and I'm not having this Burns. Hawkeye is the best doctor. That's the end of the discussion. So I love that moment. And there, and they're, they're, like you said, there seems like there's sort of a line for Henry. He can let things go for cer- certain length of time until he's kind of had it, and and that's where you see it there. And also in that same scene, when Frank goes to leave, he just turns around and leaves, and he says, "Frank, are you going to salute your commanding officer?" <laughs> and then, and of course, it's played for comedy, but it's sort of the same point. If you're going to make the complaint, then live, you know, walk the walk there too. Mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. still your commanding officer. It's my decision. There's a, there's even a, there's two moments like there's that one and then there's yeah. the, where where Frank is going through the list of complaints about uh, Pierce and I love that Hawkeye shows up in the dirty bathrobe and his shorts he just looks like totally yeah. disheveled yeah. but he <laughs> but he talks about how uh, Hawkeye keeps calling him Frank not Major and he says that's uh, that's not allowed you have to call a superior his complaint is I'm a superior officer he has to refer to me by my rank but he follows it up with that's not allowed Henry. And you're right. like, well, no, wait a minute, you're doing the very same thing. You're yeah. calling, you should be calling him Colonel Blake, not Henry. So once again, Burns is a total hypocrite, is that, you know, he's, he's mad at somebody violating a rule that he himself violates with, with impunity. The funniest thing about Frank, too, to me is that, and he's, he's totally hypocrite, but he's totally clueless that he's a hypocrite, right. <laughs> which, which I think is, is sort of a testament to Larry Linville's portrayal of Frank Burns, too, because he totally pulls it off. I mean, he's That's an funny. unlikable character. But he's a lovable character, and it's sort of the, in the same paradoxical way. 
Yeah, yeah. In the in the movie, uh, we never really get a sense that Burns is a bad doctor. We never see him in surgery. There's not even one scene of him performing surgery. The only moment where we realize he's a lousy doctor is, of course, that scene with Bud Court where he blames the death of a soldier on mm-hmm. Bud Court, and it's not Bud Court's fault, and he's and, and that's what Trapper gets mad and belts him. But we don't really ever see that, that Burns is a bad doctor. Hawkeye refers to him as a bad doctor, but we never see that. And the first three episodes of, of MASH... We, we, again, don't really see it. And then we see it finally here in the surgery scene where Burns is talking about the protocol and Hawkeye yells at him, you know, you're a year behind in your journals. So now we know, okay, not only is Burns uh, officious and way too obsessed with being uh, a GI, you know, going everything, doing everything by the rules, he's also just a bad doctor. And so that, I think, in a lot of ways, absolves Hawkeye and Trapper from treating frank as badly as they do because we know that he's also bad at the thing he's there to do which is be a doctor right and you know and that's one of the things that that in that in their situation you know if he's a bad doctor why don't they just send him home and henry says that you know he, he alludes to that going forward he said but we still need a surgeon right. no matter how bad he is or what kind of a doofus he is we still need to keep them because surgeons are still hard to come by. So a bad surgeon is still better than no surgeon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they literally <laughs> do need four hands to operate plus whatever the hell spirit Chucker does. I mean, again, they, they, right. they, there's a mention spirit Chucker has about working on somebody's brain. So, I mean, again, they reiterating that he's a brain surgeon and slowly they would, uh, again, sort of, uh, uh, erase him from the show and from the show's, from right. the show's history. So there's a there's a bunch of funny things to kind of mention here, especially during Barker again played by Sorel Book as he wanders the camp. Radar, the scene with Radar where he's reading a comic book. First of all, I'm frustrated that I can't tell what comic book Radar I, is reading. I looked closely too. Yeah, I stopped too, yeah. and paused and replayed. I did the same thing because <laughs> Radar's comics are always out of date. They're always granular details. Granular, Rob, details, granular details. Granular details. <laughs> um, all of Radar's comics are always from the '60s, and so I'm sure this one was too. But we never get to see it, unfortunately. But there's he really mouths off to Barker. I mean, he, he like that's a moment. That's something Radar would never do in later seasons because he's like. At one point, uh, Barker says, doesn't anybody go to sleep around here? And Radar goes, only on duty, sir. Which is like, you would never, Radar would never say that to a, to a general. Oh, and not only would he not say that, but Barker finds him in Henry's office. Henry is not there, and Radar has his feet kicked up on the desk, smoking a cigar and drinking brandy. So he's drinking Henry's brandy and smoking his cigars. That's probably not real typical of the Radar we see later either. No, no. <laughs> Well, much less, much less mouthing off to the general. Yeah, this is the early, still movie-ish radar who was kind of more of one of the gang, you know, and more like a scrounger kind of guy, a backroom deal guy, which would kind of eventually be the character Klinger would morph into uh, in later yeah. seasons. But yeah, here he's he really does kind of give Barker the lip. Who takes it too? Barker doesn't yell. Right. At him. I mean, other than telling him to salute. He doesn't. I mean, he could court martial Raider for for talking to him the way he does. But uh, Barker's kind of a good a good sort. As when he realizes, he admits that he's wrong at the end of the episode. So he's not he's not right. a bad guy. Right. Um, I love it when Barker storms into the swamp and um, Cap Corporal Captain Corporal Captain. I'm sorry, Captain Kaplan. <laughs> hard to say. Played by Jack Riley, who of course played uh, Carlin on the Bob Newhart show. Right. I think ostensibly he's the dentist because in later episodes they would refer to a dentist as Kaplan, so I guess he's the dentist here. But um, we see Spirit Chucker. Or, I'm sorry, not Spirit Chucker. We see uh, Ugly John, Trapper, and Kaplan all stand up when Barker comes in, and Trapper does a salute, which is totally sarcastic. You could just tell by the way yeah. he moves his hand that he's a. And of course, Hawkeye has his. Back 
back to the door, and so he has the line about, "Boy, that's a lot of respect for uh, for a pair of an twos." Or, or, for an ace. Ace. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and 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 you know, it's one of those funny things too, where it just again it underlines early on. Um, even though Trapper does it sort of sarcastically, and it's not, they do stand up still. They do. But Hawkeye, even when he sees who it is, doesn't stand up no. at all. He is just totally <laughs> irreverent at all times, and in just his conversation, he just starts right, right in on the general. Yeah. Oh, I love the, him and the 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 rapport him and uh, Sorel book have back and forth is great, and it's actually. Uh, that scene is, has one of my uh, my favorite joke line of the episode, but we'll get to that in a moment. I also do want to mention uh, Superman gets mentioned in this episode. Yes. Uh, Superman, there will be running mentions of Superman throughout match. I feel like I should uh, have an official count by the time we wrap up uh, the, the show. Uh, Burns mentions that he has a $35,000 house, which in today's money would be $361,000 house. So that's pretty good, but for a doctor, that's not that crazy i would think i mean it's i mean i guess compared to hawkeye who he sneers at for working in a hospital and of course hawkeye has the line about how crazy is it that a doctor chooses to work in a hospital yeah right exactly and that was that was sort of that was one of those things that i think like you said this is where bringing out some of frank's characterization too like you said he said he has a thirty-five thousand dollar house and two cars and that line is actually straight from the novel too so you talk about early on here this was this was ostensibly chapter six from the mash novel which then was also shown and based there was elements of this in the mash movie and then this one too this tv episode was based on that but again that 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 talked about frank in the in the novel it said he was from Indiana. Here it says he's from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Right. And then and then they talk about that. And, and again, just gives that characterization. The novel, it also went into a little bit about how Frank's father had been a surgeon and it had been him that trained Frank. And that's why Frank was such a crappy surgeon, because he learned surgery from someone who didn't know how to do surgery. But Hawkeye and the others had learned surgery in an actual surgical setting. I forgot about all that. I read that book, but it's been so long. Jeez, I forgot all about that. What a great detail. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and again, I, I just love the idea of that Frank puts his value as a physician based on how much money he makes and what he has. Yep. Again, just, just a total uh, – it just totally underlines Frank's characterization. Later on we see Margaret when Frank is typing his letter to uh, General to General Barker and Margaret reads, you know, the complaints, yada, yada, yada. $35,000 house? Yeah, oh, she's she puts her arms that. around Frank. And, and, and again, what, what sort of – in these early episodes, how Margaret was characterized as sort of um, – being very upwardly mobile, we'll say. That's <laughs> a polite various, way of putting it, yeah. Various ways that she she has gotten where she is in life and, and is still looking for more, apparently. She is quite literally uh, a, a, a star effer. I mean, literally, you know, I mean, she's yeah, exactly yeah. what she, because she loves generals. I mean, we see that the actors they cast in the generals are not particularly uh, handsome guys, and yet Margaret is attracted to you know. I mean, again, she's she 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 clearly has a, has had a romantic relationship with Boss Hog, so she she likes right. power as we've established. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we and we see here that uh, Frank uh, writes letters back to his patients. He writes a form letter, uh, one you know, and so he I guess he figures uh, he's you know bamboozling them. I feel sorry for these poor people that have to go to Frank Burns as a doctor. Because uh, he's probably really terrible back at home as he is here. And, and he's saying, well, I have to keep up my practice. Like, I, I want to make sure that no other doctor steals my patients when I get home. He's very, very involved in keeping up his practice and his profile and the image that he has built. 
Yeah. All about image, not about substance. Yep, he's got it. And everybody's a lot of a lot of typewriters here at the four seven seven. Yeah, yeah. Got to carry those around and stuff. This were all big and heavy back then. I remember I've seen uh, Saving Private Ryan and those scenes of them carrying yeah. around the typewriters is a pain in the butt. Uh, I do want to mention uh, there's the one scene where we see Spear Chucker and Ginger Bayless playing strip dominoes. And yes, the show was very liberal and uh, certainly had its politics on its sleeve, but there were some things they could not get away with. Later on, we would see Ginger Bayless in romantic clutches with Trapper. Uh, and not Hawkeye. I don't think we ever saw it with Hawkeye. But there was probably no way they could have gotten away with the idea that Spearchucker, a black doctor, was in a romantic relationship with a white nurse. That probably just was not going to fly. And so when I when I see that scene, it just reminds me of like, oh, of course, the two black supporting characters have to be in a romance with each other because that just wasn't going to fly on television in 1972. No, and that, that stood out for me, too. And I know Larry Gelbart has talked about that, where he, he talked about even how poorly women were treated in the first years of the show yeah. and how he had, they were talking about they wanted to be much more liberal, their views on war, a lot of things, but they still had, they were not secure enough in the longevity of the show yet to take some of the chances that they would eventually take later on. Um, that we don't think of as would have been taking chances now, but certainly were in the early 1970s. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a there's a season two episode coming up called George, which is like you look at it now and it looks like a museum piece. But you you think about it in the context of when it aired and it's it's startling and it's frank, no pun intended, depiction uh, of, uh, of a homosexual soldier. And let's, mm-hmm. we'll get to that. It's just an ama- again, when you, if you can if you can think about the context it aired, like that's just amazing. So, yeah, it did. There's only so much they could do, especially in this first season while they were struggling uh, in the ratings. I did notice that uh, when uh, Hawkeye is named chief surgeon and they talk about they're going to have a celebration, they put up his picture. And, of course, it's an unflattering picture of, of course, with his hair all disheveled. <laughs> and I noticed that when they, they – I guess they didn't quite have enough footage to fill it out because it freeze frames. You yeah. see a hand put up, and they, it's literally a freeze frame. You can tell just in a moment. So they must have just realized the shot was a couple seconds uh, short to, to fill out the episodes that they have to do that. It, it goes by very quickly, but it's you realize some of the uh, like nitty gritty you have to get into to fill out your episode. Yeah, and that was sort of there was a cut point. And I came up with just before, or just after it was, you know, do you know who your new chief surgeon is or whatever? And he was t- Frank was telling. Uh, General Barker, and of course, that's the picture they show, and then they they cut later also to him during his coronation, um, which how he was adorned during his coronation yes. as well as sort of that same sort of a depiction of the wackiness of the four hundred seven seven. Hawkeye's speech is nice when he does get the when they do the whole ceremony and everything is all it's all jokes, of course, because they give him a scepter, which is a plunger. And his orb, which is like a volleyball, and he sits there. And but he but he has the one line about that they're all closer to one another than they think they'll ever be to anybody else in life. And then he he cuts through the treacle with the whole you know what do I get on the humble meter thing. But for that moment, it's nice is that he they all recognize that they're in this together and they're all really close to one another in a way they didn't expect. It's it's a nice little dramatic beat for Alan Alda to do. I'm going to read that because I actually picked that out in my notes. Exactly the same thing. This is, this is what he says. He says, honestly, when you live in a cruddy situation like this long enough, you get to love a few people and even hate a few, I guess outside of our families, we'll never be closer to anyone than we are to each other. And then, like you said, then um, that was sort of a dramatic moment, but then they have to cut back to the comedy, sort of that uh, tone shift. And it says, uh, he says, what did I get in the humble meter? Right. It was couched in a joke, but I think those were those little injections where they were trying to get a little bit more of that drama and, and to really tell a story 
very early on, even though they couldn't quite fully go there yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's nice. And said so we have, we see a shot of everybody as they have their their heads bowed because they realize realize it's true. You know, they're going. Yeah. That, that happens, of course. You know, people. Uh, people's bonds are forged very deeply when things are bad. You know, it's not as it's it's harder to have a great relationship with somebody if everything is great and you're not you you know you're not pushed to your limits. But if you're pushed to your limits, you see who you can rely on. And said that's that is underscored again by the moment I talked about with Henry, where he's pushed to as you said, he's pushed to his limit. You know, he's willing to put up with a lot from Burns and Houlihan, but he is not willing to risk patience. And so he is like, okay, I know the. You know, I know it's against protocol to name a lower, a lesser ranked person as surgeon, but I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. And I said, yeah, it's exactly all about right. that. And I do love that moment where Henry says to uh, to Hawkeye, don't let me down. And Hawkeye says, would I do anything to disgrace this uniform? And it's yeah. him in his undershorts and his boots. <laughs> his bathrobe again. I, I, had to cha- I had to chuckle when they adorned um, Hawkeye with his, he had his cowboy hat on, he had his red robe. He basically had the same outfit on t-shirt that ratty red robe he had his cowboy hat on and they gave him his orb which was like a volleyball right, right. and then they gave him a scepter which was a plunger, a plunger right. which in its own way that just made me chuckle and you talk some about those and i would they really have even had a plunger this is a mobile hospital unit i would always assume they were in like more portageons they <laughs> they had to pick up and move there was no internal plumbing per se in there but they, of course it was just a purely mash sight gag where you hand him the scepter and it's a plunger but I had to chuckle even more because I thought they would. Why would they even have a plunger? <laughs> well, in, in later episodes, they will establish that supply sends them completely useless objects. Yeah. Well, there you go. So they got <laughs> shuttlecocks and stuff. So yeah. maybe maybe they got sent plungers when they were supposed to get stethoscopes or something. And so probably they got it just lying around. And I will say not to get too into the again the granular details of the show, but this uh, mash was always very inconsistent about kind of where everybody went yeah. to the bathroom because there yeah. are mentions later on of a sewer system which. Of course, is impossible. You can't have a, you're gonna have right. a sewer system. Imagine you can have outhouses. That's the way it works. So, yeah, that's uh, nobody at Match was ever paying attention to the to the details for for too long. I do want to talk about uh, the director E. W. Swackhammer, which again I cannot believe that's the guy's real name, but apparently by it was. Way, by the way, I looked this up. Do you know what the E. W. stands for? No, I didn't mention it on IMDb. What does it stand for? It's Egbert Wernerink. Wow. Swackhammer. That is so you talk about just Swackhammer as a name, but his full name is Egbert Wernerink. Swackhammer. I would go with EW, too. I well, think he a... did the best he could by going EW there. <laughs> imagine trying to fit that on a form or something. Figure yeah. that out. My goodness. Uh, yeah, he he mostly had a career in TV. He, this, he only did one episode of MASH. This is it, which is too bad. I think this one is very well directed. Uh, so I'm surprised he wasn't brought back. He also did episodes of Spider-Man, Law and Order, and he ended his career doing the Cosby Mysteries. He did direct a movie called Long Shot, and this is the plot of Long Shot. This just made me laugh. Leif Garrett, first of all, Leif Garrett. Okay. As a young <laughs> foosball player who wants to earn the big dollars that will be used to play soccer in Europe by winning the Foosball World Championships. Oh Not my football. Gosh. Foosball. So uh, I'm going to guess this is the only foosball movie in existence. And so E.W. Swackhammer, he, he gave the world long shot. So there you go. And, and like you said, his diverse credits. I mean, the other thing that he directed the pilot of L.A. Law and got, and got that picked up. So yeah. from a foosball movie to L.A. Law, he's, he's uh, obviously has some skills, but apparently he couldn't get that foosball uh, movie 
serial to, to, yeah. to, to really continue on, you know, yeah, the big it didn't, hit. It didn't, uh, there wasn't a, a spate of foosball movies after that. It didn't start that. <laughs> Although I will mention, I didn't know that he directed the pilot to L.A. Law because one little quirk of TV directing is that if you direct the pilot of a TV series and then that pilot goes to series, you get money in perpetuity for the length of that show being on. Get, yeah, I didn't know some that. royalty. So he made money from L.A. Law for all those years. So yeah. good for him. Yeah, I, I think when I was reading some of his credits, and I'm pretty sure L.A. Law was one of the ones that he directed the pilot. But it said he had in his career had directed something like 27 um, television pilots and like 18 of them had actually been picked up wow. as shows. So that's that's pretty impressive. Pretty good track record, yeah. really, when you think of how many pilots are out there that they put a film to a lot of things that don't get picked up, but he did, did pretty well for himself. The other thing I will add about Swackhammer is in his, and his uh, directorship here on mash. Um, this was the only episode of mash that he did direct, but I found it interesting because we talk about it being Klinger's first appearance. Um, and there's, a, there's when that was originally filmed in the Klinger's first spot where he first came up, he was, he was, uh, portrayed as a very effeminate homosexual man right and and then they they didn't they didn't end up using that they recut it so i found this quote from larry gelbart um and it says it was never 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 intended for Klinger to be played in a feat manner it was misdirected in that fashion much to my disappointment and gene's Gene reshot the character's introductory scene without a hint of femininity. So it makes me wonder if that's why Swackhammer oh. did, did not act as a director. Because you're right. Overall, I, this episode was well-directed. It was, it was a really good episode. It actually won a Writers Guild Award for Galbart. And the directorship, I thought, was good. But makes me wonder if that's why he did not come back. That's a great find. I never heard that. I bet you that's it. I bet you that's it. Because you're right. They, they didn't play Klinger at all as uh, gay. Because, I mean, of course, he's based off of Lenny Bruce, who did uh, an exact same thing to get out of the Navy. He dressed uh, in women's right. clothes. And so, yeah, and Klinger was never intended to be a gay character. He was meant to be, this is how far I'm going to go to get out of here. So that has right. got that's a great find, Scott. That has got to be it. That, that they realize that uh, you know that he's not hitting the moments the way it was intended to be written, and so you know when you're doing TV, you don't have you probably don't have a lot of time to reshoot a lot of stuff. So probably having to right. go back and reshoot any scene is a major pain in the butt. Well, and like you said, it was Gene Reynolds that had reshot it, who right. was <laughs> one of the prep producers. Kind so, of busy, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm sure this they when they didn't they saw the stuff and said we can't do this. Swack, uh, you know, Swackhammer was off doing something else. We got it. We got to change this scene, and it certainly played out for Klinger character and jamie fart he just nailed it even in that first episode he nailed his performance on that um and, and that's why they brought him back i think he was in you correct me if i'm wrong I, rob i think i think six episodes maybe in the first season and then obviously that ramped up and up and up and up as we went right he comes back in a dear dad episode which is where he is so completely out of character it's it's insane but we'll get to that at the when, yeah. when we get to that episode. and dear dad yeah and dear yeah so they they find they had to really kind of find the way i love when he's confronted Barker and, you know, and, and he Barker he barks back at him and, and, and Klinger says, well, I'll just keep trying Mary. And he skips off. Yeah, he's just completely off. unafraid of Barker. He just, you know, I love that. Well, and, the, and the funny thing was even before that, you know, he stops, who goes there, whatever I'm general Barker. Oh, he says something. And then, and then um, Barker's eyes squint. You're a corporal Klinger. So, so Barker already knew who corporal Klinger was. <laughs> the meaning legend. He, 
the legend of Corporal Clayton. He's, are you still trying to get out on a psycho? And then that's where he says, I'm not doing a good enough job. And see you later, Mary. And then he skips off. So. <laughs> yeah, the, the legend of Klinger has extended out all through Korea and Japan. So everybody knows, uh, you know, about him, which is really funny. Uh, like I had so- to laugh, too. Gelbart, Gelbart says that he, uh, he named Klinger after a, child, a childhood friend of his named Marvin Klinger. And whose parents were Hungarian. And then it says, just because it was Jamie Farr that played him, he said, Klinger got to be more and more Lebanese and a native of Toledo instead of Chicago because he was played by a Lebanese from Toledo. <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. Oh, yeah. And then this show, I love that the uh, Klinger will bring a lot of like Lebanese culture to the show. And again, yeah. we'll talk about that as we go on, but it's one of the nice things about. The character is that that they they bring that into into a, a very you know Mash is a very white show. I mean, there's no other way to say it. There are no black characters other than Spear Chucker who will disappear and Ginger Bayless who will disappear mm-hmm. after a couple of seasons. It's a, it's a predominantly a very white show. So at least you had some other culture going on by by uh, hearing all the stuff about the Klinger's family. So it's terrific. It's a, it's a great addition to the show. And of course, it's one of the things that dis- makes the show distinct from the movies that it's introducing its own set right. of characters characters uh, yep. that are memorable that people love and they can go, go on and on so uh, do you have a particular favorite joke from this episode uh, I do I think I, I had there were lots of jokes in this one that I actually liked but the one that I decided to pick for this was when General Barker uh, walked into the tent with Spear Chucker and uh, Nurse Ginger Barker says uh, nurse is everybody around here crazy and Nurse Ginger replies, everybody who's sane is, sir. And I just thought that sort of underlined all of MASH for me. Yeah, if they're acting, putting up all these antics, they're the sane ones. The other ones are the ones that are crazy because you have to be, you have to do all this stuff to survive around here. That, that, so it was a joke, but I thought it was the underlined sort of the seriousness of the, the, the underpinnings of MASH as well. There's a line kind of like that that plays on that years later in a, uh, a Burns and Potter scene where... Burns talks about uh, the four seven cents where he goes, I like it here. And, and Potter says, uh, either you or Klinger is nuts. I just have to figure out which one. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I remember that. Only, I only actually an just, insane person would actually like to be here. I actually just saw that episode on a rerun on me TV or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what the, what the episode was, but I remember that line. Cause it stuck with me yeah. too. You don't want to be here. That's bad. Burns. That's very, very yeah. bad. Uh, my favorite line again is uh, when Barker storms in and gets to the swamp, and he's trying to get Hawkeye to to get up and operate. And Barker and Hawkeye's like, "Look, I've got I've got it handled. I'm doing it the way I, it needs to be done." And uh, Barker, uh, after Hawkeye rebuffs Barker one last time, Barker says, "You haven't heard the last of this." And Hawkeye just says, in a perfect Groucho yep. deadpan, "I wasn't listening to the first of it." Like you could yep. totally picture <laughs> Groucho saying that to Margaret Dumont in one of their movies. It's it's he. Re- I mean. Of course, in a later episode, I'm referring to so many later episodes, but in a later episode of this season, Hawkeye literally becomes Groucho in one episode. But I mean, Alan Alda really had that Groucho Marx patois down. And so I love the way that that line is. I love another verse of it. It's got like a melodic ring to it. I love it. He, I thought the exact same thing when he delivered that when I watched it. And if you watch his face, he also gives it that little Groucho Marx head <laughs> tilt sort of too <laughs> he absolutely great. delivers it perfectly both to the sight and to the sound absolutely agree yeah it's a really really good good joke so so yeah chief surgeon who it's just a really terrific i'd say this is my favorite one of the of the first four we've done so far in the show this is my favorite episode of the of so far i would agree this one this one i really liked and i liked how 
how they took some of the stuff from the novel and the movie, but this is this to me they started to make it their own a little bit. They had taken stuff before, but this one they really made it their own. You know, in the movie and the novel, Trapper was made the chief surgeon because right, he was right. acknowledged as the best of the surgeon. Here it was Hawkeye. We introduced Klinger, as you said, who was a new a new character, and they started took the foundations of the, of what was came before, but started to make it their own a little bit more. Yeah, it's it's just terrific. It's just a real, really good episode. It's got a little bit of the drama to it. Again, it's a historic episode because Hawkeye is named Chief Surgeon, and that will come into play in a lot of episodes. And, of course, Klinger will go, I'm watching Klinger skip off just as I'm talking. It's just fantastic. He just does that little yeah. that little trollop thing that he does. It's great. One thing I had to one thing I had to chuckle about in the very last scene, you know how they sort of have that closing scene. And as a healthcare professional myself, it, we talk about the little inconsistencies within the show. And I had to chuckle because Hawkeye was made chief surgeon because of his greater skill as a surgeon and all this. And they they sort of had a nice little tie up at the end where Hawkeye is doing surgery and and Spear Chucker, or no, it was, it was Trapper, I think, asked him at the end, "Hawk, I need some help over here." And then Frank says, "I need some help here." And so Hawkeye chooses to help Frank before he helps Trapper and says, Trapper, have you got, yeah, I can hold on for a little bit. So he goes to help Frank and uh, Frank, you know, whatever at the end, he says something about this, you know, we're going to split the fee, right? Hawkeye says, and Frank says, right. But the thing that, so they tried a nice tie up at the end, but what killed me was Hawkeye had bloody gloves from the body. He was this person he was working with. He went over and stuck his hands with the same bloody gloves. So there's our surgical skill goes out the window. Again, just one of those little things that I picked up on that I just had to laugh about and said, yep, it's still television. No matter how much effort they try to make to make it sort of pseudo realistic, um, probably not the greatest thing for a surgeon to do. I would have hoped he would have at least regloved. Yeah, they would. They would make that mistake in the first season. I think by season two they realized that was a big deal, and they would, the, the yeah. made a big deal of the thwacking off of the gloves. But I didn't even yeah. notice that. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, you can't. You can't do that, <laughs> Hawkeye. That's terrible. <laughs> oh well, you know. Hopefully uh, that patient made it out anyway. Yeah, I can't say Cuz Comics, but we'll just say Cuz TV. Yeah, that's <laughs> all. It's all good. It covers everything. <laughs> covers so, it all. Excellent. Well, anyway, uh, Scott, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. I always enjoy talking to you. And uh, it's like I said, what other you have? You know, you have other shows coming up on our network, at least, right? Do you have some other appearances that you can plug just yet, or are they still kind of in the uh, planning stages? Yeah, I, o- I only have one other one in the future here that's in the in the planning stage. And, and again, it's very tentative and very rough planning. But uh, be prepared. I have a couple ideas that I'm going to pitch to you coming up, too. You'll either Ooh. get them from me in an email or off air. So. Oh, I'm excited. So, so right. I have those. Uh, um, and then, um, like I said, I still have ongoing uh, projects that I'm working on that someday I'll find the time to get to. And, of course, you uh, and your listeners will be the first to hear about them when they, if ever, materialize. Very cool. Very cool. We have it actually a, a – you can uh, – Put in a keyword, and if you go to the Fire and Water Podcast site, firewaterpodcast.com, you can type in Scott X, and it will bring up all the shows that Scott has appeared on. And so he was on It's Midnight and Star Trek and a couple episodes of Film and Water, and now he's done MASHcast. So uh, if you haven't listened to those, please go ahead. Scott is just a terrific podcast guest, and he's been great on all the other shows with the other, all the other guys. And like I said, when I joke, when I say he's the podcast finder 2017, I'm not joking. It sounds like a joke. I'm not joking. He's just been terrific across every show. So I'm always happy to have him on. So I'm always happy. I'm talking like you're not here, Scott. Uh, <laughs> I, I really appreciate I, you. I wasn't listening on. in the first place. Oh, wait, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> nice callback. Very good. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, learned from the best. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, of course, I uh, have to do our call for streaming. 
Uh, now that Disney owns Fox, please, Disney, get MASH on streaming. I know that you've got your Disney streaming channel in the works. We have no idea whether that's going to show, like, adult stuff. I assume it's going to show adult stuff. It can't just be all kids stuff. I don't know. But please, get MASH on streaming. As Hulu, iTunes, Netflix, somewhere. Get it on streaming. People need to have it uh, more accessible than just, like, on reruns on MeTV and stuff or AMC or wherever it airs. So, and of course, if you want to find back episodes of the show, go to the network site, which I mentioned, fireandwaterpodcast.com, and we have a uh, Twitter site, which is mash477cast. So, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Scott, thank you once again. I really appreciate Looking forward to future episodes of MASHcast having you on. And, Definitely, uh, and I'm, I'm excited to be back. Awesome. And so, uh, so, until the next episode, that is all. talking is some idiot desk jockey, Captain. I'm a doctor myself. Well, if you want to operate now, be my guest. I get the same pay whether I work or not. Your two and two more. <clears throat> Pierce, you're in very deep trouble. I don't think so. I can beat a pair of twos. <laughs>